You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. It's Locked On Hornets. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Century. Coming up later in the episode, we've actually given it a different name, a part of the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the pod on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get them. And you can follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets, at Walker Mail, and at Not of the Scribe. So we're going to be giving this a different name because we are the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We've done things a little exactly. differently with these promotions by Michelob Ultra and Instead of doing the players of the century, because we've often talked about Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning, Glenn Rice, the normal suspects that you would expect to hear when we discuss some of the legends of the Charlotte Hornets franchise. We decided to try to shed some light on players that haven't gotten as much love or maybe some players that don't get nearly as much attention. I don't know if it's that they should be getting a ton, but just some guys that had nice stints with this Hornets franchise and we're little stretches and gave us some little stretches and we're going to be calling it the honeycomb heroes. So Michelob ultra providing you uh, the sponsor to this honeycomb hero segment that we're going back in time, looking at some of the players that aren't Glenn rice Zoe, and some of the legends that we've talked about surrounding this franchise. We'll also get to the big men later in this episode, as we've been doing the player evals, we've decided to lump Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo together along with Nick Richards, Vernon Carey. Maybe we can give a future outlook on them, Um, but we figured we could just lump all of those guys together in the second segment. Third segment, we'll also get to the NBA Finals and talk about Giannis's block, Milwaukee Bucks tying it up two to two and giving us a series. The first close game of the NBA Finals was had last night in game four. Let's get to it, Nada. Our first honeycomb hero, it's Emeka Okafor. Brought to you by Michelob Ultra and the moment actually of the of the uh, franchise's history because he's the first ever draft pick by this version of the Charlotte professional basketball franchise, whether it be the Bobcats or the Hornets lumped together after they moved from Charlotte to New Orleans. We got the Bobcats in 04. Their first ever draft pick was Emeka Okafor. He was second overall after Dwight Howard was selected first overall being selected by the Orlando Magic. He was coming off of a championship at UConn. I loved that he team. Was. You had Ben Gordon, Rashad Anderson, plenty of players there, but Emeka was the guy. I believe he was most outstanding player of the final four. If I'm not mistaken, it was either him or Ben Gordon, but the guy was a college since uh, sensation. Um, he comes in at the age of 22 and he has to be the headliner of an, an expansion team in the NBA. And we all know about the Bobcats. It was a rough go of it their entire history. <laughs> I mean, it's except for that one, those two playoff stints. You're right. Exactly. I mean, it's up there for one of the worst sports yes. runs of all time in professional sports history. I mean, if you want to just separate the Bobcats from the Hornets, it might be the worst sports franchise of all time. Having never won a playoff game. They got there twice, but they got swept both times. Emeka Okafor had a lot of responsibility on his plate as soon as he stepped into the NBA and it took him a little while to get going, but eventually 
He starts to produce at a pretty efficient level, and we all know about his ability to rebound and block shots. His best year with Charlotte, he scored 15 points per game his rookie season, but he only shot 44% from the field, not shooting all that far away from the basket. He actually has a huge jump, so only played 26 games in his second season here in Charlotte. He only shoots 41% from the field, and then boom, his third year, he shoots over 50% and doesn't shoot anything less the rest of his seasons here with the Charlotte Bobcats. He averages 14 points a game that year. He averages over 11 rebounds. The only time he would do that in his NBA career, he averages two and a half blocks. The only time he would do that in his NBA career. So Ameka uh, was a guy, Nada, that just beyond the numbers, he was the first player that we could call our yeah, own and feel good absolutely. about. And we know that because how many bright orange Charlotte Bobcats Emeka Okafor jerseys did you see walking <laughs> around wherever you went? Because I know even growing up in Catawba County, if you were a Charlotte basketball fan, then you had the Emeka Okafor no, jersey No, you absolutely on. did have the Emeka Okafor jersey on. I mean, Emeka Okafor, if I'm honest, is the first tie to Charlotte, first personal tie to Charlotte basketball I had because I moved here in 2002. The, the franchise didn't come back, and to have a guy like Emeka Okafor, college, again, wooden player of the year, having a whole bunch of that to to basically st- staple yourself to is a humongous thing for, for somebody, especially the transplants of the time. And for a guy like Emeka Okafor, who just for the longest time, and it's been probably the referendum on Charlotte basketball history, they could never get a guy to play with him. Like, it took until he was well gone before they put something of a team. Like, I just imagine what would have happened if they put some real talent around him and what would have hap- what would have, what could have happened. This team could have been a little bit better. Remember, there was a shot that there could have been Chris Paul and Emeka Okafor in Charlotte. And the what if there... Honestly, that's the thing that hurts the most. And when you when you see all of that and when you see just exactly how all these things go down, just the failure to build around a Mecca Oak for and have that guy there, it it kind of makes me sad because like he's I remember the I think it was the Kobe 60 game and where Kobe scores 60 and we keep forgetting that. Emeka Okafor make the game ceiling block and had, if I'm not mistaken, almost a triple double in that game. Like there were moments for Emeka Okafor in terms of being the guy here. Now, granted, was he all that great? No, but he did win Rookie of the Year, and he's the at this point it's him, it's Larry, it's him, it's Larry, and I believe it's Lamelo. Those are the only three guys in Charlotte NBA history to win Rookie of the Year in Charlotte. That kind of matters. That's why I don't, that's why I kind of like doing this stuff because, granted, he's never going to get his name per se, like on again. He's never going to get his jersey retired. But at the same time, he's going to be one of those guys that it's like, hey, remember him? He had a little stretch here where he was really good and he was really important, and he kind of helped keep the lights on until Gerald Wallace took over that that uh, that honor. So there's a lot of this that like. When we have these discussions about these guys, like, and I'm glad we started with Emeka Okafor first, like, that's, it, it, there's a lot of this that is just so awesome about Emeka Okafor, and I'm glad we're recognizing him. Well, it, you know, he leaves before the Bobcats have their first playoff yeah. stand. 
Um, so he's gone. His last year with the team is 0809. And it's funny you bring up Chris Paul because it's where he goes. He goes to play for the New Orleans Hornets after playing for the Charlotte Bobcats. And at 27 years old, he's a guy that joins David West. He joins Chris Paul. And that was a fun Hornets team. Peja Stoyakovich was on that roster at that time. And I believe that was just after their first playoff stint where they get to the second round and take the Spurs to a seven game series. But Chris Paul and Emeka, not exactly the duo you're looking at there. He is the guy, though, that really didn't put. Sh- I mean, he was the first player that I think we could really look to as the face of the yeah. franchise. We were so desperate for one because the franchise was so new. It was in it was an infant at that time after getting the Bobcats after the Hornets uh, left for New Orleans. But uh, Omeka was a solid player. I, I think I forget where I put him in my top 30 Hornets of all time list. I, I'm not sure where he was. He didn't crack the top 10. I don't know if he would have cracked the top 15 or not, but he's certainly on the list for what he was able to do, at least for a little while. Um, and it was it was a rough go of it for the Bobcats and his tenure here. I do want to mention one other thing about his career, though. It's crazy is he plays till he's yeah. 30. He had some injuries, right? He had the 20 games that he played with the Hornets in 2011 and 2012. He had the 20 games that he played with the Bobcats that second year in his uh, career. Um, but 30 years old, he leaves the NBA. He plays one year with Washington. And then remember 2017, 2018, he comes back and has a stint with the yeah, Pelicans. So there's a five year break where he doesn't play one NBA contest. Again, Washington in 2012, 2013, the next NBA game he plays is with the Pelicans in 2017 and 2018 and comes in and it's not like he was a reliable basketball player, but he played 14 minutes a game for 26 contests. He started 19 of those. Um, I, I guess I don't know if that was the Anthony Davis going down years where they just needed a center. I'm not sure what exactly was going on there, but he averaged over four points and, and gave you one last stint in the association. Emeka Okafor, a guy that was first on the map for us basketball fans that uh, were still around that was able to get over at least somewhat the anger of the Hornets leaving and uh, giving our fandom to another franchise. This week's player of the century was brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Uh, it's only 2.6 carbs, 95 calories. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Thanks to Mecca Okafor being the first guy. We decided to bring him out first for the honeycomb heroes. Let's go to a quick break. But first, let's talk about Spotify Green Room. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. It's the first social audio platform made for sports fans, and the app is free to download. And once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. Green Room is the perfect place to start or join our conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Green Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to the big news or rumors. You can even find Locked On hosts across the NBA there as well. Go download the free Green Room app right now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. I know you'll find a ton of incredible rooms around your favorite teams and leagues download the green room app today green room changing the way we talk sports let's evaluate the big men on the roster coming up next on the locked on hornets podcast this is locked on hornets I do not like the MB2 nickname. That Lame- oh, it's bad. Lamelo, come yeah. on, man. I mean, look, I, I love everything else about you, but the MB times two, 
how in the world do you not like Airbnb, but you like MB times two? I, yeah. that's, that's bad. We can't allow him to create. And that's the, that's the, the reason the rule exists. You can't give yourself your nickname. You can't do no, that. Exactly. So, this is as I'm, bad as Kevin Durant wanted to call himself the servant. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. So why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. The catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or your truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Let's evaluate the big men here at NADA. It's Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo. The only guys that get real minutes at the five outside of P.J. Washington. You also see Vernon Carey that gets in a few moments here and there. Had the big game against Brooklyn where they lost, but he went for over 20. I believe that was the second start, if I'm not mistaken. But other moments that James Borrego would go to Vernon Carey, he'd put him in there for five minutes. He would maybe get beat a couple of times defensively, and Borrego would immediately put a different player in there, whether it be a Bismack, whether it be a P.J. Washington. I think it was one of the first times they put P.J. on the bench tried to go with Vernon didn't work out in Borrego's mind nearly nearly enough I think he picks up a couple of fouls PJ goes in and PJ goes bananas I think he has a really good game after coming off of the bench but that was the big man scenario and we know James Borrego had never been happy with it he even said as much Mm -hmm. in the exit interview when he said the last three years it's always been a problem he tried to go with Cody Zeller. He would go with Bismack Biombo. But in reality, his favorite lineup was PJ Washington at the five because it's the only one that you could trust. It was a positive net rating. It provided you some three point shot making ability, but also it provided you a level of rim protection that's also not there with Cody Zeller and certainly not there with Bismack Biombo. But it's a lot. You know, when guys play up a size, they take a little bit more of a pounding and sometimes they need a break. That's what they're looking for with PJ, but also they need a better rim protector than PJ because as good as he is for a small ball five, he allows you to get away with some things. Other small ball lineups don't PJ still isn't the rim protector that you need or that James Borrego really wants. They're going to look out there um, for a free agent, maybe in the draft. They decide to take one at 11 if he's a project or if he's somebody that can help them win now. Overall, what did you think about the five spot this year? Nada. The five spot was probably the biggest case of indictment that you could have if you had an issue with James Borrego. There were times where we felt like he leaned on Bismack Biombo a little bit too much, and he did. Do, do I understand it sometimes? Yeah. At other points, no. There were the times where he yanked Cody Zeller, did Co- and sometimes they were justified because Cody Zeller did look cooked. And then there are other times where it was you could see what the defensive scheme that he was asking of Cody Zeller is not in his skill set. Then you see the small thing where he brings in Vernon Carey, like you said, and it's it becomes a how come Borrego did, is willing to do this with this guy and not this? 
like the thing is, unfortunately, the big the big out big man situation is a funhouse mirror, and with that, that becomes a problem because obviously there were no matter who it seemed to be in, whether it was PJ at times, whether it was Biz at times, whether it was Cody Zeller at times. This team, especially late, would be giving up second and third and fourth chances at the rim. And the defense would just get like would just wear down. And we saw this a lot, especially against teams with big men that were really, really good. Case in point, the Indiana game, where we see situations where they're not only just giving up buckets at the rim, no one's contesting at the rim, but they're now giving up second and third chances, and then extending that defense that already is already very rickety with the zone defense. In terms of the big man and where we go from here, I, I guess I would ask you this question first, Walker. Where, if you were to keep, I, I know you're a fan of keeping Cody Zeller. You, you wouldn't mind keeping Cody Zeller. But what would be the price that you would want to keep Cody Zeller? Well, I, I think Cody Zeller ain't going to go for more than $10 million annually. And if that's the case, I think that's just fine to allocate the money to bring him back and rely on him to some degree. If you're talking about, I don't know, I mean, is it $8 million that he makes? I think he's more than worth that. Well, we've talked about this plenty of times. What I don't want to happen is for them to allocate a ton of money to Rashawn Holmes. If you're paying him 20 mil and what he's looking for, I think you're better suited just bringing back Cody. And I think the fans would be really mad about that decision, but I think yes, that's smarter than spending a ton of money on a guy that is very similar in age in Rashawn Holmes, a little bit smaller, but a better defender and a better player than what Cody Zeller is. But is he it's $13 million more a year. You're, you're, that $13 million is a salary to a good rotational player for your roster. And you would be spending that much more on somebody that has to rely on athleticism. If you pay him on a three-year contract, does he bring you one more year, two more years of that decent to, to I mean, good athleticism to do where it turns into maybe being just decent or so as he gets older. I, I, I would rather bring back Cody at that time. I've always been a fan of miles Turner. I don't know if you're trading a Gordon Hayward, sending him home to Indiana where he wanted to go previously. I heard a couple of things about Gordon having wanted to go to Indiana, but Charlotte offered him more money. And so he's like, all right, I obviously have to take this and it's a decent enough opportunity for me. Do you sit, do you send a, I don't know. Is there a, a Cody Zeller sending him back home and Gordon back home, right? Give Indiana the, the, the homegrown white guys that they've had before. And then do you bring miles Turner back here to Charlotte that provides the rim protection in the three point shot that uh, James Brago likes? Do you send a pick with them as well? Um, you know, that's something that could be, that could happen here. We talked about free agent opportunities with Zach Collins. I, I look, you and I both like the Zach Collins idea. Um, yeah. it, it's somebody that's, it's absolutely a risk because he's been injured. He's had some, some significant injuries, but he's good when he's out there on the court and he was a tantalizing prospect out of Gonzaga anyway. Do you spend $10 million or something like that on Zach instead of bringing a Cody Zeller? I could get on board with that because Zach is good so and I. he's younger and, and that's something I would like. But yeah, those are just some of the options I think that, uh, that, that make more sense. A Jarrett Allen, you know, 
that's a lot of money still, right? Like we've talked about Jared oh, Allen. And and I guess, look, I'm rambling, but here's here's the overall bow on the present that I'm trying to wrap up for everyone. The bow is Cody Zeller is fine enough at a pretty, pretty nice value to the point where I would be okay with him coming back if it meant not spending top dollar on some of the other free agent acquisitions. The other centers I would be okay with that, you know, Nerland's Noel, I'd be fine with. But what I don't want to do is spend a ton of money just for the sake of getting somebody different at the five spot. I think that would be misguided. I, I agree with you, actually. I do kind of worry about this team overspending just to fill a hole only to get marginally better at the center position. Another guy that, you know, I'm kind of thinking about, and it literally did not cross my mind until I just saw him. I forgot. I might have seen like a YouTube highlight or something of him. Marquise Chris might not be a bad name to bring in for very, very cheap. Like Chris was a, was pretty good when he was healthy with the Golden State Warriors. And if you're talking about an athletic guy that can block some shots, run up and down, and do a few things, I'm not mad at bringing in a Marquise Chris if that's going to mean saving money and possibly addressing another need, which is, which would be, for me at least, shooter. And if you told me that with the free agency money they brought, they've got in two big men, whether it's a combination of Daniel Tice, Cody, and Marquise Chris – and a Doug McDermott or to, to bring in on the wings. Are you really mad about that? Because I'm not sure I am. Yeah, the thing about Chris, though, is is this just a change for the sake of making change at that point? I, I have a hard time saying Marquise Chris is better than Cody Zeller. There's a reason that he's made a I ton of spots. And I know that there's the talent where he was a first-round pick you know, so long ago. But, man, how many stints has he had now? I mean, he was with the Warriors. He was with Houston. He was with Phoenix. I don't even know the other teams, if there are any other teams. But at, at that point, you know, and I saw Matt Moore put this out there, too. You are talking about a positive net rating with Cody Zeller out there at the five. It's why I don't think Fair. it was such a big problem that everybody made it out to be. You know, I think they needed more depth, but I don't think that was necessarily a Cody Zeller problem. It basically, if you can get somebody that starts for this team, that's better than Cody and you slide him down to someone you can rely on as a backup five. And then you just push everybody else out except for a Vernon and a Nick who you want to bring along as young guys. And maybe Vernon is the guy that's th that develops more because he's got such a nice offensive feel. We'll see about how the defense comes along. Long, but that's what I think you want, right? Like it, it, it's just that Cody himself said he wants to feel valued and Beret goes out here, not even all that indirectly saying he doesn't like his fives <laughs> unless you're PJ Washington, yeah. you know, he, he basically said as much. And, and the thing is, and I guess this is where I, I would push back a little bit. I'm not saying Chris has to be better than Cody. I'm saying Chris has to be better than biz. Yeah, that's where I'm yeah, at. If, if you're bringing and him think, in for, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Chris is great, but right. Like it, you're kind of thinking just get different depth too, you know, get, get a guy that can catch and can finish and can defend at the rim. Cause as much as I love biz biz look again, we've said, I've said it on this podcast, biz aged like a banana this year and it wasn't good in a lot of stretches. And despite that, I appreciate everything he does for him. He, he's done for this roster. But if he's back on this roster, it better not be in a spot where he can potentially get big minutes. I, I like him. I, I would want him to be a part of the franchise going forward. 
I just don't want him getting rotation minutes. Anymore. All right, let's take a quick break. I want to continue to uh, talk about the big men here on the Charlotte Hornets. It's been probably the most popular topic this offseason. But first, let's go to bet online. It's the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. We've got one more segment to go on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. Nada, you asked me about why I don't have the sneakers app and asked if it's that I'm too good to have the sneakers app. And no, here's the thing. <laughs> I, you guys are addicted to this drug that brings more yes. pain yes. than it brings joy. And I th- that That feeling that you guys get when you are able to attain a pair of sneakers, it keeps bringing you in, and I don't want to be addicted to that drug. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA finals coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. We enjoyed last night's game. Devin Booker put on a show. Chris Middleton did so on the other side, scoring 40 points. He showed up offensively. Giannis showed up offensively and defensively. Drew, just one side of the court, bad shooting night, but really did a tremendous job on Chris Paul and made things hard for him while Chris also seemed to just be out of sorts. You have to wonder if that hand is really bothering him after revealing in the Clippers series that he tore ligaments in his left hand. So that has to be bothering him. And it's unfortunately just another incident of injury and or late game turnover in Chris Paul's postseason career. The guy is a flawless basketball player by so many advanced metrics until we get to the postseason in crucial moments and you have some pretty Uh, pretty bad turnovers and bad injuries on his part. I I hope that he can dodge that. But last night was just another example. Five total for Chris Paul. We can talk about all the negative stuff, though. The positives are overwhelmingly there. How about Giannis's block? That's the play of the game. Unbelievable. Nada. I mean, just refusing to play the pass or deflecting, right? Like so many times guys are going to throw their hands up in the passing lane or try to cut off the angle as much as possible. But Devin Booker throws the lob from the hip. I mean, he's not positioning it so much to where it looks like a lob where he puts the basketball in front of his head and then just pushes the pass to DeAndre Ayton. He throws a lob from his hip and it's a, it's maybe a little far, but from the hip, trying to get the defense off balance or just throwing it before the defense can react. It's a damn nice play. DeAndre big and athletic enough to go get it. But Giannis doesn't attempt to play the pass. He turns. He takes one big stride in the paint. I've watched this video a million times. I'm sure everybody else has too. (laughs) He takes one big stride, jumps off of one foot, doesn't waste time by trying to plant the other one, and then meets DeAndre at the top of the square, all ball. I it, look. I know a lot of people have been comparing it to the LeBron block. It, it's not. Can we start well, there? Can we start there? Man, moment game seven. At the moment that it happened, so late in game seven, agreed. The stakes were higher. But if you are going to talk about just sheer difficulty 
and amazement in what you watched if you take context out of all of it? I understand it's an important part when we try to evaluate and have to rank what's number one. We have to choose number one. Okay, fine. But if you're talking about physical feet and how those blocks were accomplished, I have no problem with putting Giannis on the Mount yeah. Rushmore with LeBron James, the block on Andrea Guadala, Tayshawn Prince's block on Reggie Miller, as much as it pains me to say, Reggie, why didn't you just freaking dunk it? <laughs> but Tayshawn <laughs> runs the length of the court and swats Reggie enough to win another series against the Pacers during their battles against the Pistons. And then you can go to Bam Adebayo's block on Jason Tatum, where that dunk is damn near in the basket. Bam's at a uh, Bam's hand bends in a painful yeah. way and still blocks yes. that. I think that's the Mount Rushmore of postseason blocks that are at least are in my recent viewing history of the postseason. No, see, and it's, that's the thing. I would honestly, if you're telling me if that those are the quote unquote Mount Rushmore in its summer, so we can use Mount it's Rushmore. July. We're unironically. Fine. It's, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We can use it unironically. But if you're telling me those those are the four blocks, yeah, absolutely. Like I just the funniest part about this is I was reading the comments Giannis made after the uh, play. And he was like, I almost got it. I should have been like, he's a guy that's made just this game saving play. And he's talking about, I should have been better at it. Like, bruh, like, think about, <laughs> I that. don't know how you think can. about that. Yeah. I don't know how you can, but he's like, it should have never gotten there. Like his quotes are like, it never should have gotten that far. And it could have gone, it could have gone sideways and this, that, and the third. And it's like, dude, you won the more likely, the, the most unlikely scenario out of that play. Cause normally like 99.999% of that time, Aiton flushes that. And we're talking about a get series changing. Like there's no hope for the Bucks going to Phoenix in game five. And he makes that play. Like, this is what you love about basketball. This is what I love about basketball. And if you didn't love that play, and we're not talking about that play, I, quite honestly, I cram to understand how you don't love this game. Like, then you're just here to talk about the arguments. And that's the thing. I love that. Like, that game was gave me everything. And I struggled to stay awake through the entire thing. But at the same time, it was just so friggin' awesome. Yeah, it, it, it's such a story of two legacies. One, Giannis has plenty of time. Let's say that Giannis was having another postseason like he did the two previous playoff stints. He has plenty of time to fight back. Chris Paul, not so much being at the age of 36, yet still plenty of legacy stuff on the line with Chris Paul and Giannis and Giannis is flourishing. I've, I've put it on seven 30, the game out there a couple of times after game four ish of the Brooklyn Nets series, the dude has been monstrous. It it doesn't matter what game you're talking about. He's missed some free throws, you know, fair criticisms there. But other than that, uh, the guy has been an absolute monster because he's not taking away fadeaway jumpers and shooting ill-advised threes as much anymore. Uh, you know, I think he had a couple that uh, yesterday. So I think there was like one bad three, but they're very much limited, yeah. right? Like they're not happening as much. Um, and Chris Paul was avoiding all of that talk too, but boy, bad game. Is it back? Yeah. yeah. Ten, ten yeah, points, five turnovers. 
a backbreaking turnover at the end where you squander an opportunity, uh, brutal game from Chris Paul and the roles are reversed, right? Devin Booker goes three of 14 in the last game. Chris has a nice contest and now it's Booker who goes bananas. He goes 40 points and Chris Paul has the bad one. No help from Phoenix, none and anywhere else. It's all Devin Booker. In yeah. That one. At that, at that point, this is why role players only show up at home. And this is why if you're Milwaukee, if you steal this one game, I think we are at the quote unquote pivotal game five where I feel good about the Bucks if they win this game, this game five coming up on Saturday. I don't feel good about this. Like, I, again, they're in the point where even if Phoenix wins game five, I'm not sure Phoenix is going to send again, end this in six. Like, I think if Phoenix wins this, this is going seven. If Milwaukee ends this, this is ending in six. And th- at that point, mm-hmm. I'm not so like we're going to have to start talking about Giannis and the Pantheon and the stretch that he's had in the last two and a half, three years and the overcoming of it, because the one thing that I appreciate the most about Giannis is that he clearly does not give a, you know, yeah, he's, he's so fun, man. I mean, is there a better personality in the game? No, no. Like, you know what he is? He's like Wiley Coyote. (laughs) He's again, he's going to keep chasing that road runner. He may not get there, but you know what? Damn it. He's going to keep going after it. No matter if he falls off the cliff, Nine times he's getting up 10 and he's buying something from Acme. That's Giannis right now. Yeah, he doesn't stop. Uh, Even him refreshingly talking honestly about the wall, how it's a nuisance. It's a compliment and a nuisance at the same time, how he's buying in, how he cares so much on defense and offense. It's pretty hard not to like Giannis and he just might do it. I, I want to get just, I want to say one quick thing about the big men with the Hornets here in a second, but first not let's, let's talk legacy outlook with Giannis anyway. Like if he wins this championship, he's inevitably going okay. to get finals MVP. I mean, that that's not a competition anymore. It's his, if the bucks win. So Giannis gets a finals MVP, he gets a championship. He has, I think, is it two defensive player of the year awards or is it just one? Either way. I think it's, I think it's two. It, I think let's go look this so, up because I don't e- either be way, either way, he's got one. He's an all NBA defender year in and year out. If, if he wins a, does he win a third MVP? Is he even anywhere close to a third MVP or does he win multiple championships? You are talking about some, some very highly yeah. ranked legacies with Giannis. If, if those are the types of things we're talking about him accomplishing, like we're talking about two, th- two MVPs one you're and you're right. One defensive player of the year, just one, but we're talking about one of the greatest all time runs, especially from a small market. And that's like, we're he's doing this from Milwaukee. This is not doing this from like for, for let's just say, it's not L.A. He's doing this. He's not doing this from Chicago. He's doing this from Milwaukee. Legacy wise, this is one of the greatest stretches we've ever seen. And he would be one of like, for me, he's the most unlikely one of the most unlikely stories next to Jokic that we've ever seen. Like this guy should not be where he is. And yet he is due to a lot of genetic freak work and mentality and 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 just like. Legacy wise, I would I'm not gonna put him 
I, again, and I hate doing legacy because legacy is so hard. Well, I, I, you don't have to rank him if you don't want to. It's just I'm just putting out the accolades that we could see when he's done with his NBA career because the fact is he is still relatively young, having accomplished so much. If we're talking about even just another championship, another MVP, is there a possibility for both? I, I just... I mean, it really is insane. The kind of accolades that could come his way when his career is over and done with, um, like think about it like this though, Walker and the last, and the last thing we, we knighted Kawhi Leonard off of a couple of big stretches. Giannis has done more and been the focal of all of it. Like we might have to put him a little bit higher than we ever did Kawhi, and that's going to be a lot. To, that's going to be a lot. To do. That's going to be a fun conversation when we get to it. All right, I want to put just a final wrap on the big man evaluation for Charlotte. Now, the more I think about it, the more mm-hmm. I kind of want the Hornets. I, I talked about it, and I've been thinking about it in the last ten minutes, even more so. Yes, I, I've changed my mind even more so, um, or it's just been Uh-oh. emphasized. Not, I'm. I really want to go after Zach. I think. I think I want to go. You want Zach Collins? I do. I, I think. I think you just you just think about the price that you could get him. Now it, it all comes down to whether okay. Portland would match that offer sheet. Granted, right? Like so, you know. I, underst- I don't think they would. I understand that that's a part of the equation, but I think you could get the best bang for your buck, albeit a risk with Zach Collins on your roster because Nerlens Noel is going to get paid what he's worth and perhaps more. So uh, miles Turner, you're going to have to give up things to go get him as much as I love miles, especially with this roster, Rashawn Holmes. We've talked about our concerns there, even though we both agree he's a good player. It does. The contract make sense even, you know, two, three years out, maybe even four, if that's how much the, the length is. I, I just think all things considered, Zach Collins is becoming my favorite option, albeit, yes, it is certainly a risk, and I would understand if you want to stay away from it. Yeah, no, that's – see, the thing is, as far as I'm concerned, Zach Collins should be offered something. Do I think that you offer him much? No, I think you offer him maybe a two – like a one-and-one. So that no matter, so if he outperforms the contract, he he opts in. If he doesn't, or he comes along late, then cool. He he's locked in for another year. I do think that that's that's an option. Zach Collins is not what I'm building this around though. In if it's me, Zach Collins is already part of possibly part of your fold. Then you bring in two more guys, and then if that's the case, then you basically figure out during summer league and training camp, hey, is Nick Richards going to make it or is Vernon Carey going to make it? And if the answer is neither, cut them both. If it the answer is one, that guy stays on the roster, the other one goes to Greensboro. I am on of the mind at this point that anything can and possibly should happen. And as long as it's done in a fiscally responsible way, I'm not yeah. sure I care all that much. No, that that's, that's ultimately what I'm it comes at. down to, right? Like you just want them to be you want them to get a good player. You want them yeah. to make strides, but you want them to be fiscally responsible. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the direction I'm heading. Uh, another thing about this though is with such an injury laden end of the year, is that a risk the Hornets are willing to take, especially with Gordon Hayward still on the books, who has an injury history. I wonder if that 
is also in the equation with all of this. Will be interesting to see what the Charlotte Hornets do. All right, we ran a little long, but we'll end it here. That wraps up this edition of Locked on Hornets. Thanks again to Michelob Ultra for supporting the show. Tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked on NBA, Hollinger and Duncan, really any show on the Locked on Podcast Network. Have a great day. We'll be back with you tomorrow.